Hi, everyone, and welcome back to uh, the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast and what will be the final episode of Season 5, because Season 6 is right around the corner. Uh, and so in this sort of bonus episode of Season 5, I'm going to talk to you about the Satir Change Model, um, which was developed by family therapist Virginia Satir, and I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Um, but first, I want to give you a couple of updates, and then I'm going to finish this episode telling you about the crowdfunding campaign for Season 6 of the podcast, which is happening now, and I would love, love, love your support because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. And uh, I think now more than ever, this teacher wellbeing message needs to reach the podcatchers and the ears of teachers who need it. So some updates for uh, where I am at and where self-care for teachers is at and what's been happening lately. So you uh, possibly have been seeing a few of my posts that have uh, gone a little bit Viral is a really strong word, but I've had a few posts that got quite a lot of attention on Facebook in the last couple of months. I guess really just me sharing my thoughts and my responses to the ongoing changes that have been happening and, the, and some of the political responses to schools um, opening, closing, whatever schools are doing in every state. And so if you're not following me on Facebook, I highly, highly recommend it. So just at Self Care for Teachers. Um, on Facebook because that uh, does seem to be a place that if I have something, you know, that I want to say, I'm committing to saying it there more regularly, uh, particularly um, being a little bit more of a voice for teachers and an advocate for teachers because I know that I'm in a privileged position to be able to do that given that I don't actually work for any uh, school, you know, systems at the moment. So, on the back of that, or not really on the back of that, but it completely in line with that, is I also in April have applied for um, a Churchill Fellowship. So some of you might remember I applied in 2018 and was unsuccessful. So remains to be seen whether I'll be successful this year. But um, in case you don't know, Churchill Fellowships are, it's like a grant or a scholarship um, and it's run by the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust. And basically they are fairly, you know, they, they want to support anyone, Australians, who is trying to do something good for the world, for, for particularly for Australia, and needs to go overseas to research something or investigate something that can help Australians. So go and get some knowledge and some learning and bring it back and, and contribute to the Australian society. Now, obviously, the, the travel piece of things is all a bit up in the air at the moment, but um, putting that aside, it can be in any topic. So, for example, a friend of mine and a previous Churchill fellow, uh, Zoe Ether, ha has um, gone and researched last year, went around the world to look into smart mobility. So automated vehicles, self-driving cars, that kind of thing. But also there's a fellow from Stanthorpe who researched vinegar, traditional vinegar making techniques. Um, and there's been, you know, medical professionals going and learning particular surgery types of things. So it can be really anything. But what I have applied for to investigate um, this time round is really teacher status um, and its impact on the sustainability of our profession. Because uh, as much as obviously I do very much care about teacher well-being, I'm starting to see, and you're probably noticing over time, I'm starting to kind of peel back the layers and, and what started out being about self-care for teachers and what you can do for yourself in your individual life, because that's the only thing you really have control over, right? The only only person you can control is you and you have a lot of power in your own life to make some tweaks and shifts and habit changes and that sort of thing to improve your well-being. And then, you know, the more I peel back the layers, the more I see that really self-care is absolutely vital, but it's it's really a 
it's what we have to do to survive. And it's also, it doesn't solve what are actually some systemic issues that are causing a lot of the well-being problems. You know, the workload is just extreme. Aside from the pandemic, right? Let's just put that aside. Before even that happened, the real struggle that we're having attracting I'll use this word very carefully, but attracting quality uh, teachers to the professional quality candidates to become teachers. We're really seeing huge uh, dives in the number of young people uh, applying for education degrees at university and that sort of thing. You know, the huge issues with standardized testing and league tables and, and funding, equitable funding of schools, those sorts of things are massive, massive issues. And another one that I'm really seeing is teacher status. Uh, underpinning a lot of those things. And, and, and uh, you know, it's a wicked problem. Teacher status is a wicked problem. Teacher well-being is a wicked problem. Teacher attrition and, and teacher retention is a wicked problem. But they're all kind of related. And, and, you know, I've been doing some reading in the last couple of months about, like, the Global Teacher Status Index and some other OECD data coming out about, you know, places in the world that have high teacher status. And I'm curious about that. Um, and I want to learn more about that. And I want to then ho- hopefully go and take, do that learning and then bring the learnings back to Australia and um, see how we can apply it here. Because, I mean, as you may know, the federal government back in um, late 2018 uh, did a inquiry into the status of the teaching profession, which was headed up by very well-known teacher supporter, not Andrew Laming. And then because it was an election year in 2019, the whole thing just kind of got shelved. So they did get, they did get a lot of submissions. It was a fairly quick turnaround to write a submission. Um, and lots of, I think they got about 90 submissions and then they did some community forums and things. But, um, basically then there was a report written and it's just sat on a shelf and nothing's happened because even though they, I guess they can tick a box and say that they have looked into teacher status and the, the report is basically like, yeah, we have a problem with teacher status in this country. Uh, but then it's just a report and gets ignored, you know. And then obviously we've had bushfires and coronavirus and all sorts of other things that definitely the government needs to respond to. But I guess that's a very long-winded way of saying it's something that I'm really interested in and I am um, actively pursuing uh, going and finding out more ways that, you know, we can continue to improve that. And I do think that it is a very delicate time um, for teacher status in Australia at the moment with with the huge amounts of stress and pressure that teachers are under at the moment, huge amounts of stress and pressure that parents are under and, and you know, by and large, politicians are under as well. And I think that there's a kind of, yes, the huge insights now that many parents have into what actually goes into sitting with even one or two children to get them to do their, you know, schoolwork. So there's a growing appreciation perhaps for the actual scope of our work and the goes into it from parents who have maybe had renewed insight into that from having their children home doing some some kind of home-based learning there's also you know it's delicate right there's there's also factions in our in our society that will use any opportunity including legitimate hygiene concerns about not having enough hand sanitizer in the school you know and teachers saying hang on a minute uh, we can't have children back here because we can't actually wash anybody's hands as a just another way to teach a bash. So it's it's a really delicate time, I think, and it's something that I'm going to continue to pay attention to. So I wanted to update you about that. And I also wanted to let you know that, you know, I'm continuing to try and, and use my platform that I've built and, and the fact that I am independent and I'm not, you know, I'm not employed by any of the state governments or any of the school 
independent school systems or anything. So I, I can actually speak. And so I have, you know, I was on ABC local radio here in Toowoomba a couple of weeks ago at the start of um, term two here in Queensland and am keen to continue to, you know, speak to the media on behalf of teachers because I know you guys can't, right? And um, so if you happen to see any media call outs for teachers to get in touch with them, please give them my name. Um, send them to hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au or if it's on Facebook, you can tag self-care for teachers probably. And yeah, send them my way because I'd like to, I'd like to continue that work. And I will continue, but you know, if you can help, that'd be great. So, um, also I wanted to say that I have run a couple of fatigue resilience masterclasses over the last couple of months, um, in conjunction with my husband, Stuart, who is an accredited exercise physiologist. And, um, so we've been sort of covering so far, we've looked at the relationship between exercise and heart rate variance and fatigue, and also the relationship between what you eat and fatigue. And no, it's not a, is definitely not a masterclass that tells you what you should be eating and being very prescriptive. It's actually just giving lots of information so that you can make the decisions for yourself. Obviously, you should also consult your healthcare professional to get individualized advice. But my focus this year is basically around really helping teachers get the foundations right when it comes to that bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because I so often see that we as a profession ignore our most basic physiological needs. We don't fuel our bodies or look after our bodies very well. And then we wonder why we ran out of steam, you know? So why do we feel so tired all the time, even though we haven't had enough sleep and we've barely eaten all day and we're fueling ourselves on caffeine and, you know, then having a massive energy crash at three o'clock and we kind of scratch our heads and say, why is that? But actually, you know, the body just has some basic physiological needs and You might remember I covered that back in episode seven of season five, which was called the other half of the wellbeing equation. So you can go back and check that episode out in the archives for more sort of on that idea around Maslow's hierarchy before Bloom's taxonomy. But then the next fatigue resilience masterclass um, is all about stress and the nervous system and how that relates to fatigue um, and what you can do to help support your nervous system to manage and mitigate your fatigue. So that's a virtual masterclass. Obviously, in the time of social distancing, that's important, but it, everything I do is virtual, so that's fine. And that's on Saturday, the 30th of May, 2020, and I will put a link in the description so that you can go and get your tickets. Um, plus, you will be able to purchase a replay after the fact if you happen to be listening to this you know, at a later date. And also, you can purchase the previous masterclasses as well if you're really interested in those other ones. So, that's in conjunction, like I said, with my husband, Stuart Keane, who is an accredited exercise physiologist. And um, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Exercise physiologists are super, super, super helpful. Um, It wasn't something I understood before I married one. So, highly recommend you check those out. So, that's Saturday the 30th of May. And like I said, I'll put a link in the description so that you can get your tickets to Fatigue Resilience Masterclass number three. And just finally, with the updates, I have also been featured on a couple of podcasts recently. You might remember back in February, I was on the Reflective Teacher podcast talking about five ways that you can create more balance in your work and life as a teacher. Obviously, that was recorded and released pre-COVID, but I do recommend going back and listening to that now. Even if you uh, think that, oh, well, it was pre-COVID, it doesn't apply, it absolutely still does. A lot of the A lot of this stuff is just stuff that applies all the time, but then in crisis situations applies even more so. Um, So I'll put a link to that in the description 
And then late last year, I had a brilliant chat with Mandy from Shine From Within, so Amanda Rootsy, who runs Shine From Within. And that interview has just gone live in season two on the Youth Mentor podcast. So we talked about my journey with self-care for teachers and also some tips for preventing burnout um, for teachers. And um, like I said, it was recorded pre-COVID late last year. But again, I think the conversation is even more relevant now. So I highly, highly recommend checking that out. I will put a link in the description of this episode as well. And then with a bit more of a business focus, uh, I was very pleased to be featured on the Ideas to Into Reality podcast this week. Um, and actually, I'm their first guest. Um, so for those of you who have been following for a while, you have probably heard me talk about Canvas Coworking here in Toowoomba. Um, and the Ideas into Reality podcast is Canvas Coworking's podcast. And I've been heavily involved in that community here for about three and a half years now. And, you know, spoiler alert, was fairly involved in the creation of the podcast as well. So it's not that surprising that I'm their first guest, but um, it still was really nice to be featured. Um, And yeah, and until very recently, I was also the secretary of the Canvas community. So I really do love it. And it's actually highly possible that without the support and the business learnings that I've gained from being part of a Canvas co-working community, it's possible self-care for teachers might not still be in existence today. So if you're interested in hearing a bit more about my business journey with self-care for teachers, then you might be interested in my interview with Joy Taylor for the Ideas into Reality podcast, which I will also put a link to in the description. And as often seems to happen, it doesn't rain, it pours when it comes to podcasts. Um, and I was also recently interviewed for a women's career podcast talking about self-care for teachers, um, but it's not live yet. So it will be coming out sometime this month. And if you're on the list to receive the advocate email to your email inbox or if you're following on Facebook, I'll make sure I share a link there when it does go live because that also I think will be really interested, interesting. And we actually talk about my, it was, it's, we recorded it really recently and we actually talk about my, I guess my frustration with the prime minister's message, uh, back in April. Um, and yeah, so it's a bit more timely. Anyway, so those are the announcements about what's been going on at Self-Care for Teachers. Uh, and I will tell you about Season 6 and the crowdfunding campaign a little bit later on. But first, I want to share with you the Satir uh, Change Model. So it was developed by family therapist Virginia Satir. Um, and I actually recently attended a webinar about teacher well-being in the time of COVID held by Professor Lee Waters from the Centre of Positive Psychology uh, in the University of Melbourne. And she shared this excellent diagram about the Satir change model and just how we as human beings react to sudden change. And I thought I would share it with you here today because I think I really just hope that it can help you be understanding of yourself and compassionate with yourself and with the people that you work with uh, and, you know, everyone in your life really because we're all navigating some extraordinary and continuing changes. So the day this goes to air, you know, Queensland will be going back to, I think, grade 11s and 12s and preps ones, kindy prep ones are coming back to school. And then next week there'll be other kids back to school and all across the country, it's all different. And really, like some of these announcements are happening so quickly at least in the case in Queensland, you know, we thought we had five weeks of learning from home. And then last Monday on Labor Day, which is just so freaking ironic, but anyway, on Labor Day, the Queensland government announced that, no, 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 some students are coming back next week, which gave teachers a four, in a four day working week when they're already, already, you know, working all the time. And those four days was already full. 
four days to suddenly get, get ready and prepare for some of the students coming back to school. So there is a lot of sudden change happening at the moment and, and it's kind of off the back of more and more sudden change. So I'm not going to go through all the different changes that we've had, but, but you guys know, right? There's a global pandemic and in different schools, in different states, and even depending where you are, you know, if there's a little cluster outbreak or something in your area that, you know, this is impacting on everybody differently. But basically the Satir change model has four main phases. Uh, and so they are like the ending phase or the, you know, the, status quo of whatever, you know, whatever before was, before the some kind of change happened, the status quo. And then there is a chaos period. Once there is this change that happens, some kind of trigger, some kind of event, there's a, a period of chaos, which is like stage two. Then there's a period of integration, which is stage three. And then there is the new status quo. So a new normal, which can also be thought of as new beginnings. So I'm going to describe a diagram, which obviously audio is not the best way to do that. So I will also put some links in the description of this episode to go and have a look at some images of this. Um, but if you think about a, you know, X, Y axis with the X axis going horizontally being um, linear time, period of time, and then the Y axis going vertically up the page uh, being, I suppose, performance or if we thought about it, maybe like level of coping and obviously trying to take any value judgments about what coping and a level of coping means about self-worth, right? So just, just scrap any of those value judgments. So if we think about those four stages, the previous status quo or the old normal, um, then the chaos period, then the integration period, and then the new status quo or the new normal period, if you sort of broke up the diagram into four quarters vertically, like four columns maybe, that first endings kind of period or, you know, the end of the old normal <laughs> is a time where what we often see is our kind of coping ability has a little bit of a dip just as we have this shock of, oh, my goodness, there's some kind of sudden change. We have a little bit of a dip of the shock of it and then we – launch into action. So our coping ability then rises up above whatever we sort of say is our quote unquote normal coping ability. And then, you know, we take some action because, you know, ending things requires some action. I'm sure you can all think about that. Whatever day it was where you're listening to this, when the, you know, the ruling came down and said, yes, that, you know, we're going to close schools or we're going to close for student free days, or we're going to have school holidays start early, whatever that sort of change to the normal term plan was, whenever that came through, there's a whole bunch of action that you have to take to cancel things, to end things, to, you know, get people just to know that their change is happening. So there's an initial shock period where our coping kind of drops a bit. Then there's a boost where we jump into action because we have to take some action to cancel stuff or to change plans to to let people know that you know, things are changing, schools are closing, or there's student-free days or, or whatever it was where you're listening to this. And so once we have that little boost, we can start to feel better because we're like, okay, great, I'm taking action. You know, yes, this is a big, a big deal, a big change, but, you know, I'm feeling a bit more capable because I'm taking some action. I've got some things to do. Once whatever that action is, and really that signals the end of the 
old normal because now we've taken the action to actually cancel whatever normal used to be, cancel normal activities or change normal activities, move things online, whatever. Then we move into the chaos period, right, which remember is the sort of the second quarter or the second column on this diagram. And this period sees us really take a nosedive in terms of our coping ability and our, I guess, our emotional feelings, right? So things that you might be feeling at this stage would be confusion, doubt, fear, anger, and just a whole lot of uncertainty. Like it's a really, um, it's a scary time and, and a sense of chaos. We don't like that. As human beings in general, we don't like that. I think teachers in particular being people who are generally organized and planned and we'd like to know what's happening and, you know, we've already got our, in a normal year, we've already figured out that our parent-teacher interviews in term four are going to be on this, in this week of the calendar month. So, we kind of, we're normally fairly certain about our, our calendars and our timelines. We have to be because that's the way normally things work. So, when there's a big change, like, for example, schools just being turned on their head because there's a global pandemic and everything's no longer in person or it is in person or it's, you know, some kind of mix of modes of learning, we can take once the initial action to just set those new frameworks up or the new situations up, our coping takes a big dive, like much further down than the initial shock period. That was just a little dip. This is a really big dive and we really kind of can descend into a feelings of uncertainty and doubt and fear and distress and just, you know, all the not fun things to feel. And we can really, when we're at the sort of the bottom of that, um, and by the way, this diagram looks a lot like the learning pit. So if that helps you visualize it, but when we're at the bottom of that, we can really start to think, my goodness, this is, this is the new normal. I'm going to be down here in this pit, not coping, feeling overwhelmed and just angry and upset and fearful. I'm going to be down here at the bottom of this pit forever. And we just, we can be really, even in the, in the way we talk to ourselves, can be really hard on ourselves. And also because we are feeling everything's in chaos. We don't know what is coming next. We know everything's changed, but we don't really know how things are going to be going forwards. There's so much uncertainty and that's so uncomfortable for pretty much all of us. And there's also often a lot of grief around whatever the ending is from before, the loss of that old status quo. It's really emotionally full on. And, and at the bottom of that pit, we can feel like we're never, ever going to get out of it. And this, this is the new normal down here at the bottom of this pit. And that's the way it's going to stay forever. But the good news is that that's not the way human beings actually respond to change forever. And we know this, the research supports this, right? So this is not woo-woo, this is science. Human beings are incredibly adaptive and we do eventually reach a stage called integration. And so this would be the third quarter, you know, the third column in our diagram. And this is where we start to see our coping ability or our coping levels increase. And it, and it might be gradual. It might be a bit more rapid for you. Obviously, it depends how many extra changes are coming off the back of that, right? And this is where we, because we start to get, we're moving from uncertainty into clarity. We're starting to, I guess, practice what's going on in this new normal. You know, we're starting to feel a bit more like, okay, well, I, I know how Zoom works or Microsoft Teams or whatever the software is that your school is using to communicate people at home. You know, we start to get a little bit more confident with 
the, the new way things are, we start to have more sense of control. And what that generally leads to is a sense of hope. Oh, okay, I'm starting to figure this out. Yes, it's not the same as it was before. And we still have probably a lot of grief about the loss of the previous, you know, the, the status quo from before. And it's not to say that once we move into this new phase of integration that we won't still sort of bounce back and forth between those other feelings of doubt and fear and frustration and all of that and the grief. Like I said, that's going to be normal and it's totally natural to be bouncing back and forth and just having a lot of feelings right now and a lot of really big feelings, totally normal, totally natural. And I want you to know that that you're not alone in that. Even if the people around you, they might be not showing it or they might not, they might be at a different stage, you know, a different place along this journey to you. And so don't compare yourself to other people in terms of this model around how we respond to change because it's it's not going to be the same. Like I always say, there's no one size fits all. So the other thing that starts to happen in this integration phase is that we can start to look to find benefits. You know, for example, some of the benefits that I've heard from teachers in the last couple of weeks have been around the fact that They've actually been much more in touch with their colleagues about the well-being of everybody or the adults than ever before because all of a sudden there is this really, really strong motivation to make sure everyone's okay, not just the students, obviously, but also all the adults. And so there's actually been a, an increase in in some cases. I know this is not everyone, but this is what I'm hearing. People are saying, well, I never would have wanted a pandemic like this to happen, but actually I feel more in touch with and more supported by my colleagues and my school leadership than ever. Or I've also heard it, you know, from the perspective of the students that in some cases, kids who are really quite disengaged in the classroom or very passive, very, you know, they're really not likely to put their hand up and and let the rest of the class know that they don't understand something. They've actually been really engaged in the learning from home process because it's, it's less public for them. They're able to actually reach out to the teacher and say, hey, I need more help or I don't understand this, and and it's not in front of, visible in front of the whole, you know, peer cohort. So, they're actually thriving in this new learning from home model. So, there are some benefits. Obviously, there's huge drawbacks, right? It's, it's a very difficult time. But what I'm hearing from teachers is that there are some benefits to some of the changes that have happened. And once you're able to look for those benefits, that can be a sign that you're starting to get to the place of moving into integration. Now, I do want to just caution here that we want to distinguish between this benefit finding phase of the integration period. We want to distinguish that from emotional or spiritual bypassing and a kind of toxic positivity, which is something that can happen. I'm sure you've experienced it when somebody sort of, they haven't gone through all the feelings of difficulty and you may have experienced this not even related to sudden change but anything where people just go straight to oh well look at the silver linings and like the thing has just happened you're you're still in the thick of feeling the feelings about whatever it is that's just happened and in some cases that can be I mean it's really toxic if it's actually dismissing other people's you know feelings of frustration or fear or doubt or confusion it's it's toxic in a interpersonal relationship if somebody is going straight to that silver linings without letting you feel your feelings and actually saying that you you need to move to this benefit finding place right now immediately so it can be toxic and it can also just be 
you know, for ourselves personally, we can kind of beat ourselves up and actually bypass feeling the the important but difficult feelings that we might need to feel to kind of process an event if we go straight to the benefit finding and kind of don't actually feel the grief of the of the loss. So I do want to just caution there. And like I said, this is, you know, you can bounce around between chaos and integration and it sort of can feel like two steps forward, one step back, and then another two steps forward and then three steps back. And, you know, it's kind of a messy journey and, and we're all in the messy middle of this right now, as I think Brene Brown would say. I think that's her term, the messy middle. But so I wanted to share that with you though, that when you're at the bottom of that pit and you just feel like this, you know, chaos is going to continue forever. My sense of being overwhelmed or my sense of not coping is going to continue forever. It's not the case. You will reach a period of integration and be able to start to feel more confident and have more control and, and more hope around where you're going. And over time in this new integration phase, the coping curve, I suppose we could call it, comes back up to kind of a normal level of coping where we're actually, we've readjusted and we might then think, all right, well, now in this new normal, we're at business as usual again. We're back to whatever our kind of normal levels of coping were before and we've readjusted and we're in this business as usual phase and we think, all right, well, that's it. I've integrated it. I'm feeling like this is where I'm at and this is how we're going to continue forever. But actually what the science, what the research shows us is that we actually usually grow. So then. In this new beginnings phase, the new status quo, the new normal, our levels of coping or our feelings of confidence and um, our skills and our strengths and our ability to find meaning, that actually all increases to, uh, you know, above the pre-event levels. So I think that that's quite encouraging. You have throughout this process and you may not be there yet because I don't think the change is finished yet, right? But you end up You've learned, you learn rapidly, you get new skills, new knowledge and new confidence and then you grow and as those skills become second nature, as your, you know, expectations of the situation maybe adjust to be a bit more reasonable, maybe your, just the sense of newness and uncertainty fades because now, yes, it might be different to before but it's no longer new so we, we feel a bit more confident about what it is because we understand it more because it's not new anymore. So you grow from it and that is really, really important to remind ourselves of that there is growth here even when it's really challenging and that you're not going to be, if you are currently feeling in the pit of despair and just feeling so overwhelmed, you may still be in that chaos phase and that's okay and don't try and silver lining your way out of it because it doesn't really work that way. You can't actually bypass those difficult feelings of, of doubt and fear and anger and rage and grief. And, you know, you have to feel some of that, but also just know that this too shall pass. Now is not forever. So that is a little bit about the Satya change model. Like I said, I will put some links in the description so that you can go and read a bit more about it and see a few different graphs that are available on the internet um, or diagrams so that you can kind of have an understanding of um, what this looks like. And I just really hope that it's helpful to you to understand that so that you can be really compassionate with yourself in the midst of this chaos and change. And it is ongoing and they are extraordinary and continuing changes. And, you know, when 
We're not through this yet, so it's going to continue to change and it's impacting our lives personally and professionally. And I, and I guess I just, I want you to know that probably all your feelings are normal and natural and it's okay to feel them. Obviously, we want to be able to show up for work and and get on with things, you know, from day to day, but but to maybe allow yourself a little bit more time actively create some space in your life to actually process some of those feelings. So journaling can be really helpful. Talking to a trusted friend. I'd be careful about how you discuss it at work because, you know, there is so much to do at the moment and, and we know that workplaces that were already psychologically unsafe are possibly can still psychologically unsafe, perhaps even more so in the midst of this crisis. So just, you know, use your discernment about who you talk to, who is actually a a safe person psychologically to to chat to about this. And of course, if you're really feeling really overwhelmed by it, get in touch with your employee assistant lines. I will put a link in the show notes as well to a fantastic article that Trudy from TeachersThriving.com put together with a list of all the Australian employee advisory lines that you can reach out to and have a chat if you just really do feel like it's it's overwhelming you. Remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint. So, Let's be kind to ourselves in this process and and keep fitting your oxygen mask before you help others. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, I want to share with you and I want to finish this episode with some information about the crowdfunding campaign for season six of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. I'm sure you know that education and the role of teachers in Australian society has never been more topical or visible. I think that the COVID-19 crisis has just amplified the important work of teachers as well as the pre-existing challenges that were facing us as a profession. You know, like I said earlier, the increasing issues with teacher attraction and retention and workload and well-being. And so my mission with Self-Care for Teachers and my mission really with this possible campaign is to create the sixth and seventh season of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast to support you, to support teachers improve their health, happiness and well-being And I want to do that and I'm crowdfunding because I want to do that through the podcast without it, you know, adversely affecting my well-being. So I'm seeking funding for season six and seven because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. Uh, And so since I have started the Teacher Wellbeing podcast in February 2017, there has been more than 70 episodes with 35 guests and I've had over 30 8,000, I think, at the time of recording downloads um, in over 50 countries around the world, but I am primarily focused on Australia. It's an absolute pleasure to create this podcast, but it does come at a personal cost. So there's some basic operational costs that I need to cover, and it, it also costs a significant amount of time. And, you know, if you don't have much time to produce podcasts, they can co- they cost money to have somebody else produce them as well. So In season three and four, I had two brilliant sponsors covering the most basic costs of the production, but I still did all the editing and production work myself. And then you might remember that in season five last year, in in March of 2019, I crowdfunded for season five and it was just the gift that kept on giving. So I did a crowdfunding campaign in March before season five began and I had planned at the time to do 10 episodes, but obviously I've ended up creating... 20 episodes. I sort of did 12 in a row and then we've had just some bonus episodes throughout the year. And it's really all been thanks to the support of that crowdfunding campaign because it meant that I could take off my editor hat and I didn't have to do all the editing and production and the audio work. I was able to outsource that and then just really focus on creating good episodes and, and getting guests and being a great host and 
um, creating great content because I could let somebody else take care of the production because, you know, it turns out I'm a person first and a podcaster second and I can't do it all on my own. Who knew? So for season six, I am actually hoping to crowdfund with this campaign. I'm hoping to crowdfund both season six and seven. Season six is going to happen anyway, right? So it's starting this week, but it would be great to have the support to, to produce it. But I am going to run season six kind of concurrently with this crowdfunding campaign. But really this crowdfunding campaign is to, to really make sure that I can finish season six and go on to create season seven as well. So if you enjoy the teacher wellbeing podcast and if you think it's a value to the world, then I would love it if you would swing me a few dollars to support the show. If you want to invest, you know, more than five dollars, there are lots of bonuses for doing that too. There's you know, various levels, $25, $50, that sort of thing. If you have a teacher-related product or service and would like to get in the ears of my audience, then there are episode sponsorship opportunities as well. Um, And if you don't feel that you can spare any money, then you can still help the podcast by sharing any posts you see about the crowdfunder campaign on social media. So if you are following me on social media, I, I don't know if you realize this, but Business pages on social media, so I've got two and a half thousand followers or something, but they don't all see every post that I put out there because Facebook is, you know, becoming a pay to play platform. So what does show posts to people is either if I give money to Facebook to show it to people who've already said they want to see my stuff or if many people are commenting or sharing or liking a, a post, right? So if you would like to support the show then, and you are following me on Instagram or Facebook, at self-care for teachers and if you see any posts about the crowdfunding campaign if you drop a red apple emoji in the comments of any post you see about this um, that will actually help more people see my posts i mean you can you can leave other comments too obviously you could tag your friends and comment whatever you want to say about it in the comments as well um, but if if you don't have a lot of time and you're just kind of scrolling if you can just pause and pop a red apple emoji in the comments or any any emoji really that will really, really help. And if you share it, if you use the hashtag Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, that also helps. So the way a crowdfunding campaign is set up, it means that if I don't reach my target, which this year is $2,500, nobody pays anything. So it's all or nothing. So I would love it if you would pledge to this project now to make it happen. Remember, you know, you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of vibrant health, happiness, and well-being. And you can read more about, you know, the budget involved and all of that for the crowdfunding campaign. I'll put a link in the description of this episode, or you can go to possible.com and just search teacher wellbeing in the search bar. So that's a bit about the crowdfunder. I would love, love, love your support. And remember to check out those links in the description of this episode to the podcast that I've been featured in recently and also the fatigue resilient masterclasses. By the way, if you want the recordings of the previous fatigue resilience masterclasses. They're bonuses for some of the different levels of the crowdfunder. So maybe go and have a look at that um, if you are interested in the in the replays. And as always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you're so worthy of your own care. And this week, as all weeks, may you continue to look after yourself wholeheartedly and be a beacon of inspiration for others and an example to your colleagues to do the same. See you later. Mm-hmm.